In the name of Jesus, on this Independence Day weekend, dear friends in Christ, and on this weekend we celebrate, and very appropriately so, our freedom and liberty as Americans. But as we saw depicted in that video, there are things in this life that can cause us to have anxiety, to have doubt, and to have fear. I think fear is a very powerful emotion. And I think we increasingly live in a time and an age, a nation and a world that's more and more characterized by such fear. Wouldn't you agree? I think it's true. And I think we could see that fear play out in many different levels. We may see it in our entertainment. The movies we're drawn to seeing, the TV shows that are options often to pick from, from cable or Netflix, perhaps many of the video games that we play. I think in this election year in this country, we see fear more and more being used as a powerful and effective motivator in our politics. I think there's a level of angst out there right now in the world economy. And many of us may have to catch ourselves after watching five or ten minutes of the local or national news that we don't leave our TV sets with such a sense of foreboding or worry or concern about the events of the world or at times the direction our seemingly great nation seems to be heading in. Fear can enter in at many levels. It can affect a number of relationships. And if we're honest, probably all of us struggle with inner fears as well. There's a lot of things that we can be afraid of out there, as we heard from the kids today. If you have fear of water, you've got hydrophobia. If you have nyclophobia, that means you're fearful of darkness. If you have acrophobia, you're fear of heights. If you have taxophobia, you'd be fear of what? Taxes. And that wasn't very nice. I just set you up there. It's not taxes. (laughs) It's actually the fear of being buried alive. Go figure. Uh, There's nomophobia, which is the fear of loss of cell phone contact. Now, that could be very, very serious for some of us, including some people in the balcony, maybe even myself. There's allophobia, which is the fear of flutes. I didn't know you could be afraid of flutes. Well, I think the point is there's enough fear to go around in this world, and it's easy to live our lives sometimes as chained captives of those fears. In our gospel lesson today that Erica read from Luke 8, I think we see fear at several levels. We see the fear that the people had of that town, of that man walking around with many evil spirits and demons in him. That would be scary. You see the fear in those demons when they realize that Jesus is going to cast them out of that man and send them in, they fear, to the abyss. And finally, you see the fear of the townspeople after they witness this very interesting miracle of Jesus exercising or extracting those demons from the man, casting them into a herd of pigs. The pigs go wild, run down the hill, jump in the lake, and drown. That would be a dramatic, scary scene to witness. And today, as we conclude our sermon series on transitions, where we've looked at the miracles of Jesus, and we've looked at the difference that such miracles, such transformations, such transitions make in our lives, today we're going to look at the story from our gospel reading, the story of the man with many demons. Or we could title the story, or my sermon could be titled, for that matter, The Naked Man and the Pigs or the Demons and the Swine. And it is an interesting miracle of Jesus. And it's interesting to note that three of the four gospel writers include this in their New Testament writings, which I think speaks to the importance that God places on that and the lessons we can learn from it. Now, of all the miracles we've looked at in this series or all that we could look at in the New Testament, I think the geography is key for this lesson today. We pick up our text text today at Luke 8, 26, and it says, They, Jesus and the disciples, sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. And this is pagan country. 
This would be dangerous territory for Jesus and the disciples to enter into for several reasons. And Jeraza is a pagan town. Today it would be the city of Jerash in the country of Jordan, just to give us some perspective. But we know it's pagan, we know it's Gentile, we know it's non-Jewish territory because of the presence of pigs. No self-respecting Jew would keep a herd of pigs because to a Jew a pig was an unclean animal. So a good Jew would not eat a pig, touch a pig, have anything to do with a pig. Now, both in our gospel account today of the story from Luke and in Mark's account of the same miracle, we see by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the two writers place this story immediately upon the heels of another miracle, of Jesus calming the sea. And it's like Luke and Mark are saying, if Jesus can calm the wild waves of the sea, he can calm and conquer those demons and fear in that man. He can calm and conquer the fears and demons that we struggle with in our lives today. And that's exactly where we pick it up in our text now at verse 27. Jesus steps out of the boat, and he meets this man filled with many evil spirits. Now, from Mark's gospel account, and the rest of the time will be in the Luke account, but this one detail from Mark, Mark 5, 3 states that this man had great power, that chains could not even hold him. He'd break free of the shackles, and he'd pick up stones and beat himself and bruise himself and wail out loud. Quite a scary situation. So a very strong demon-possessed man, back to Luke 8, 27, Jesus encounters him. This very strong demon-possessed screaming man also is walking around naked. He is homeless. That adds to the intrigue. He lives and hangs out in pagan tombs, unclean places. That's where he would sleep at night. And for a Jew, Jesus is about to interact with a very unclean person who hangs out in unclean places, a true untouchable. But we say, see next in our text, verse 28. The demons, though, right off the get-go, they recognize who Jesus is. And they fall at his feet in fear. They know who they're dealing with. And they address him as Jesus, son of the Most High God. And you contrast that at times with the reaction of some of the other people in the New Testament who spent time around Jesus and maybe who should have known better but often exhibited such confusion. Exhibit A the disciples. Jesus' original hand-picked gang of 12 guys who for three years of his public ministry ate with them and uh, learned by his side and saw him perform the miracles and heard him preach the sermons, and yet they often didn't get who he really was and what he was about. You see it in the Pharisees and other religious leaders of the day often were confused. Jesus' own own half-brothers and siblings confused as well. But the demons know exactly who Jesus is and what he is capable of. They know his name. They know the name of the enemy. And they're going to concede dominion to Jesus without a fight. And in verse 29, Jesus is going to command those demons to leave that poor man whose body they had possessed. And the demons recognize Jesus' authority. They offer no resistance, and they concede dominion. They have to. He's the Christ. In verse 30, then Jesus, before he heals this man, asks this man, what is your name? And he replies, legion, because he had many demons in him. Now, a little background here. Rome, of course, was the dominant power of the Mediterranean world, the ancient Near East at this time. And the Roman army was mighty, and it was powerful. It was organized, the army of occupation of Palestine and surrounding areas. And one of the ways it was organized was by legions. And a legion would consist of 6,000 soldiers. So whether this man literally had 6,000 demons in him or just a lot, we don't know. But it shows he is under total demonic possession. And also, equally importantly, I think it shows the many demonic forces that were opposed to Jesus then 
and the many demonic forces of the devil that are opposed to Jesus, his followers, and his church today. Regardless of how many demons were in this man, this man was filled with many demons, and they had been in him for a while, and they were slowly destroying his life and his will to live, and that's what demons do then and do today. Verse 31 The demons know what's going to happen. They know Jesus is going to exorcise them, extract them from this poor man. So in verse 32, they beg that Jesus, when you cast us out of this man, please don't send us into the abyss, a place of confinement for Satan and his evil angels. Uh, But rather they beg that Jesus would send them into a herd of pigs, verse 32, that's grazing on a hillside. And we know from Mark's gospel account there were 2,000 pigs in that herd. So that's a pretty big herd. Verse 33, Jesus brings freedom to this man. He heals this man in the miracle. He extracts those demons, sends them into that herd of pigs. The pigs go wild. They're possessed. They charge down the hill, jump in the lake, and drown all 2,000 of them. That had to, again, be quite a dramatic scene for the people of that town to witness. If Peter was around back then, I think they would have been a little upset. But we can see, as this miracle concludes, chapter 8, verse 34 and following, that those who were tending to the herds, And the townspeople who witnessed this miracle were astounded. They went and told others what Jesus had done. But they were also afraid and they asked him to leave the area. Now for today, why is the story of the demon-possessed man or the swine and the demons so significant? Well, on this Independence Day weekend when we conclude our sermon series on transitions, today we're looking at the ultimate transition we have in Christ Jesus. Because of that amazing grace of Christ that we just sang about, because of the miracle of the resurrection, because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the fact that he conquered the power of the cross and the grave, we are truly free. Free at last in Christ Jesus. He is more powerful than any fear, any doubt, any anxiety, any demon that we would wrestle with. And I think there's five takeaways that we can leave God's house with today toward understanding this point, how we are truly free, free in Christ, the ultimate transition. Takeaway number one, as I had the privilege to preach in the opening sermon of this series, we talked about the miracles of Jesus, that in those miracles Jesus demonstrates and reveals his glory. Jesus shows that he is truly God. Jesus demonstrates his power and his sovereignty and his compassion over illness, over nature. And in today's miracle, we see him demonstrating his power and his compassion and his sovereignty over the demonic and the fears of this world. And I think that's significant and that's encouraging for you and me as we started in the opening of our sermon today. We live in these fear-ridden, anxiety-laden times. We all struggle with the fears and demons in our life. Jesus is more powerful, as I shared with the children today, than any fear, any anxiety, anything of this world that would battle of us, anything of the devil that would wage war on us. If you look at the miracles of Jesus across the New Testament, you can put them in different categories. You can see categories, miracles of healing, where he restored sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, speech to the mute, mobility to the lame. He healed a woman who had been bleeding nonstop for 12 years. You see miracles where he conquered nature, such as calming the sea. Miracles where he demonstrated his power over death and the resurrection, as we looked at in the first sermon in this series, where he raised the 12-year-old daughter Jairus from the dead. And today we see another category of miracles where he conquers the power of demonic and fear. Those miracles of Jesus pretty much cover the spectrum of life. God was a God of miracles today. He's a God of, a God of miracles then. He's a God of miracles today. Amen.
Amen. He absolutely is. And in that same power, in that same sovereignty, and in that same love, he is able to help us conquer those demons, those fears, those anxieties that would chain us down and weight us. We are free, free in Christ. Takeaway number two. I think we see on a lesson today that Satan and his demons are real. They were real then and they're real today. In a recent study of American Christian relief, religious beliefs and practices, uh, now this is of a distinct subset in our country. The study was of American Christians. Sadly, it's a shrinking subset in our country. But half of American Christians in this survey do not believe in the devil, that there's not an evil one, that he's not real. Now, we might find that hard to believe, and again, this is not of the American population as a whole. It's Half of American Christians do not acknowledge there is someone warring for control of their heart, their mind, their body, and their soul. That there is spiritual warfare going on. Now, lest we become overwhelmed with fear and anxiety this day, we need to realize that the war is over. Jesus has won. When Satan got crucified, when Jesus got crucified, Satan got nailed. We know how the story ends. So even though the war is won and Satan is defeated, he's a defeated enemy with some kick. And even though he can't win the overall war, he can win a number of battles. And he will wage war to battle for control of the hearts and minds as many people as he can as possible, as we see in the text today. Martin Luther said this about the devil. He described him like being a dog on a leash. That God is in control of that dog. He's in control of that devil. He's on a tight tether. He's only going so far. He can only operate within a certain radius or range of operation. But he does have some bite and he does have some kick. And if we don't respect that dog, that devil, we can get bit and we can get kicked. But he is a defeated enemy. But he does have a bag of tricks. And in those bag of tricks, probably one of his most effective MOs is that of deception. And obviously he's doing a pretty good job. If you can get half of Americans, Americans in this country today not even to believe that he is real. That there is an enemy, an evil one. If Satan was more blunt... If he and his demons were more obvious in their work, I don't think they'd be nearly as effective. But they're subtle. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Satan masquerades as an angel of light, seeking who deceive. But as C.S. Lewis, the great Christian author, said it so well about the warfare that we're in. There is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. There is spiritual warfare, but God's got it. And we know how this story has the divine good ending. Praise be to God. Takeaway number three. We see in our story today that demons abound. They exist then and they exist today. And demonic possession, as we've seen in this story, is possible today. As a matter of fact, I was just reading yesterday. I wasn't looking to read something on this. But I happened to stumble across something written by a Christian psychiatrist where he writes that in his practice and other psychiatrists that he knows that are Christian who believe in the presence of the devil... They're finding more and more cases of demonic possession, that they feel it's on the rise. Now, with that said, I will contend here today that most of Satan's activity, most of the work of the demons, and we all have Satan and his demons warring and working on us, usually takes a form of something less than outright demonic possession. Although that is possible today, and some of us may know people who have suffered from that kind of oppression. But when we look at our fears today and we look at our anxieties and the things that would control us in our life and pull our eyes off Jesus and our faith and trust in him, 
there are many modern-day demons that can play on us. For some of us, and we all have our demons, some of us, our demons and our fears may come in the form of a bottle. Some of us, our demons may come in the form of a bag of pills. For some of us, our demons may be found at a card table. Some of us, they may be with a one-armed bandit. Some of us, our demons or people that we know and love, their demons may be found at a porn site or a food buffet or trying to control an all-consuming anger or temper. For some, the demons are found in an unhealthy, ungood relationship, an all-consuming job and career that replaces God as number one in one's life. Or it can be found in a bank account or obsession with popularity or looks or social media or phone or whatever it is, anything that ultimately become more important in our life than God, anything that would ultimately drive our agenda, anything that would take our focus and trust off Jesus, anything that would rule our hearts, anything that would become a modern-day idol, something that we'd ultimately worship and devote our life to other than the one true living God. And we all have those things that compete in our life to be what we worship. They can play on our fears. They can play on our anxieties. And just like the man in this story who was possessed by legion, those modern-day demons and idols can have the same effect on you and me. They can take control of our lives. They can drive our agenda. They can bind us to the past and cause us to live with so much fear and anxiety and brokenness filled with self-destructive tendencies apart from a faith and a hope and trust in Jesus. Such struggle, such brokenness, and we all deal with brokenness in different areas of our life and with fear. It's part of our sinful human condition. We all have different demons we battle. Satan works on us in different ways. And when we give in and we acquiesce and we live in the chains of bondage, what we suffer is from fear and anxiety. They leave us a legacy of hurt and fear and baggage that affects our lives and the lives of those that we love. They can chain us to our past and keep our eyes and hearts from being fixed upon Jesus, as the writer of Hebrews encourages us to do. But there's good news here. Takeaway number four, we see in this miracle day in the story of the demon-possessed man from Jerasa that Jesus brings him freedom. He brings him healing. He brings him relief from the brokenness and the fears and the demons that plagued him. He set him free. And Jesus can also bring us, and it does bring us, that same freedom and that same healing and that same relief from brokenness with those fears and those struggles and those demons that we wrestle with in our life. He sets us free as well. Praise be to God by the ultimate transition out of his love, by the blood of the lamb, by the miracle of the resurrection, the ultimate transition. He sets us free from sin, death, Satan, and the grips of his demons. He conquers, he breaks those chains that would hold us back and have us live in fear and affect so many of our lives and taint so many of our relationships. Whatever the brokenness we might feel today, and I would contend that all of us somewhere in our heart are dealing with one or more areas of brokenness, or there's people very near to us suffering with that. And there's times we succumb to the lies of evil when where Satan and his demons will get us to believe that there are just some things we do, have done that God just couldn't love us for anymore. There are just some sins we've committed that the blood of the lamb could just no longer cover. Some things Jesus could not forgive us for. There are some human situations and dilemmas and fears and anxieties that 
God just cannot understand. He can't relate to. Those are all false. Those are all lies of the evil one. Jesus does and can set us free. As he did those in the miracles in the New Testament. By his power. By his blood. By his love. By his compassion. He leaves us a legacy of grace. Some of us may be weighted down today with a serious albatross around our heart and our soul. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a relationship in the family that's just falling apart. Maybe it's grieving over a loved one and it's just not getting any better. Jesus wants to shatter the grips of those chains and destroy and release us from those fears. Because no evil habit is beyond the power of Jesus. No sin is beyond his ability to forgive. No human situation or dilemma or problem is beyond the divine healing, miraculous touch of Jesus, as we've seen throughout this series, praise be to God. And yet Satan loves it so much, doesn't he? When we, when we spend time in the valley, and we all have our low days, don't we? whether it's a period of time in our life or certain pockets of our life where we're warring the demons and the fears and the struggles, where we feel so broken, where there's days we wonder, can the pressures of life get much worse? Where Satan starts to get us to question whether God cares. We start wondering if our prayers or the prayers of those we love are being heard anymore. There may be days we wake up with so many tears in our eyes, we wonder, will we ever smile or laugh again? When we're at our lowest and we all go through those periods and aspects in our life, that's when we're the most vulnerable. And that's when Satan and his demons like to strike and sow those seeds of doubt and despair and disconnect. But the good news again today is those of us who know Jesus, we are free. We're free in Christ. Because as John writes in his gospel, chapter 8, verse 32, for those of us who know the truth, the truth indeed sets us free. We are slaves to sin no more. Hallelujah. Christ has conquered fear. We are free, free at last in Christ. And as Paul writes in that reading that Erica read from today, from Romans 8, which I think is one of the most encouraging chapters of all of Scripture. Paul picks up at verse 37, Know in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nothing, nothing in all creation, nothing of this world, nothing of the demons, nothing of Satan can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Finally, takeaway number five. We see the miracle conclude today, verses 38 and 39. And the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Notice the imperative. Notice the charge from Jesus to this formerly demon-possessed man to go and tell, share, share the good news, tell about the miracle, tell of the healing, tell what a difference, what a transformation it is to know Christ and have freedom and life in Christ Jesus, to be freed from the brokenness of how Satan would like us to live. Time is short and hell is hot. There is a sense of urgency. As believers, those who know the grip of grace of Jesus, I believe each day we have people who enter our lives. The Lord puts them in our past who don't know him. They don't know the truth. They need to be set free. They don't, love, they don't know of the love of God. They don't understand the grace of God. They don't realize that we have a God who has more grace than they have since. May we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, each day individually as a congregation, take that charge. 
pick up that sense of urgency to go and share the good news with those who don't know the truth, who need to be set free, who need to understand and experience what freedom in Christ is all about. And to that end, we as a congregation, individually, and as a group, have the opportunity, the next seven weeks, the next seven Sundays, we go out to the park, worship in the park, Cherry Hill Village. A number of us look forward to worshiping out there in the beauty of nature, a change of routine. It's a wonderful setting. But it's not just for us. If we can pick up on that sense of urgency and prayerfully consider inviting someone else to join us, someone who might feel less threatened going to the park than stepping into a sanctuary, someone who might be a friend from school or a coworker from the office, a family member, a friend, a neighbor who doesn't know the truth, who needs to be set free. Maybe it's somebody you golf with or you bowl with or you uh, shoot pool with or you go out to lunch with. Somebody to invite them to grab a chair and come out and join us one of those weeks in a very different setting. And perhaps for the first time they will hear the truth and the truth will set them free. May we continue to be Jesus with skin on to those people the Lord puts in our path so that they may, like the demon-possessed man, like you and me, experience that ultimate transition of being free, free in Christ, free at last. In the name of Jesus, amen.